This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. And alhamdulillahi na'maduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiru wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyidi'ati amalina man yahdihillahu falamudillalahu wa man yudlil falahadiyalah أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله وسلامه عليه يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تمتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعض فان خير الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر امور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم said in this tremendous hadith to our mother Aisha Al-Humaira bintu Siddiq may Allah be pleased with both of them Ya Aisha lawla anna qaumaki hadithu ahdim bi jahiliya la amartu bil bayt fahudim fadkhaltu fihi ma ukhrija minhu walzaqtuhu bil ard waj'altu lahu babain babin sharqiyan wa babin gharbiyan fabalaqtu bihi asas ibrahim tremendous hadith sahih is sahih al-bukhari and muslim when nabi mentions sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he went from medina to mecca and he went back to mecca and he conquered mecca so there's a surah in the quran called surah al-fath laqad fatahna laka fathan mubina Allah gave him the victory over the non-Muslims after being expelled from Mecca. He went to Medina and then he went back to Mecca as a victor. And he could have dealt with all of the non-Muslims when he went back. And he could have done a lot of things to pay them back and to get intiqam and revenge for what they did. Had it been left to any one of us except the one that Allah gave him rahma we'd have taken revenge from those people for all of the drama and static and problems that they gave us they killed some of his companions only because they said la ilaha illallah that was it so like i see these disturbing talks by some of these brawi imams and some of these deobandi imams they plant in the heart of the youngsters who are on that stuff hatred for people of the sunnah 
And I'm talking about hatred. I have children. I have children. But does it look like a Muslim father or mother teaching their children to hate the Muslims? I tell my children, I hate all of these jama'at. And if you're with any of these groups, any of them, without any exception, if you are with any of these groups, I'm going to disown you. Because those groups teach you to hate the Muslims and teach you to look at Islam through a very narrow scope of that madhab or that group that you're on. But to tell my kids to hate Shiite of Iran and Iraq, they curse the companions, عنهم, I hate that with a passion. But I know they're ignorant. I know that the awam are ignorant. What they're doing is bad. I've been to Senegal, I've been to Gambia, I've been to Nigeria, I've been to the West African countries where the Tijani people have people committing shit left, right, and center, worshiping other than Allah. And I hate that shirk and khurafat, I hate that. But I know that those people are ignorant. They are Muslim brothers that we should have rahmah upon and hope for them khayr. They are like, in many instances, as far as understanding the deen, they're like the Bedouin who urinated in the masjid, akramakumullah. That urinate, that Bedouin doesn't know his religion. Who's going to urinate in a masjid? Who, who's going to do that? Someone who has an aqliya, his intellect, something's wrong. So as it relates to the Prophet going back, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and forgiving most of those people, he let them go. Most of them, he let them go. It's a delil. That he was a person that had rahmah. If that opportunity was given to many of us, some of us can't make up and speak to relatives who we have ongoing beef with. We won't be the first to extend the olive branch, the olive branch to them. There are people who have done us wrong. If Allah gave you the ability to be over them, some of them, some of us will take our haq. Some of us will take our haq. And it's not always wrong to take your haq. Not always wrong. But the Prophet ﷺ, he went back to Mecca. And when he went into Mecca, he was riding his horse. And he had his head close to the neck of the horse. As if he was making sajda or rukur. Being humble. And he heard one of his companions say, Oh, Quraysh, oh, Quraysh. We're going to chop that meat up today. That meat is going to be chopped up. And that blood is going to be spilt. We remember what you did to Hamza. And that companion who said that, he wanted to get the other companions agitated. So that they just start going and taking heads off. The prophet said, no. No, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here today. That's not what we're doing. So when he went there, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a lot of things happened. One of the things that happened was this hadith. He said, Ya Aisha, Ya Aisha. He was looking at the Kaaba. And Aisha and him were looking at the Kaaba. And there were people going around the Kaaba. After he conquered Mecca, now the Kaaba is under his supervision and his authority. He can do with it what he wants to do with it. Let in who he wants to let in and kick out who he doesn't want to let in. As those ayat were revealed. Tell them the non-Muslims, you can't come to the Kaaba after this year. Mushrikun, you can't come, that's it. So as he looked at the Kaaba, he said, Ya Aisha, if it wasn't for the fact that your people were new, newly out of Jahiliyyah, 
Jahiliyyah, everything that happened before El Islam. These people were new. I came, I conquered Mecca, and they came into Islam. And they saved their lives as a result of that. And I accepted their tome in the Islam. But if they were not new to this religion, what I would have done is, I'd have taken this Kaaba and I would have done some things with it. I'd have rebuilt it on the Kawaid of Ibrahim. And remember, when Ibrahim and Ismail, the two of them, they built the Kaaba on special pillars. And it's not on those pillars anymore. The Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if these people were not new to Islam, I would have ordered for the Kaaba to be destroyed, ripped down, all of it destroyed. And then I would have entered into it what has been taken out of it. And I would have started from the ground. I would have made it even with the ground. And I would have made two doors. One door first facing the east, and the other door facing the west. And if I would have done that, then I would have built it the way it's supposed to be built when Ibrahim did it. This hadith has a lot of benefits in it. But the Shaykh, rahmatullahi alayhi, brought it for one reason. It has a lot of benefits in it. Part of it is the history of the Kaaba. Part of it is the history of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam leaving Mecca and all of that. The Shaykh brought it in this book, the da'wah and the du'at. We're giving da'wah and we're calling people. And we're all du'at. We're all callers. All of us are teachers. So what's the connection here? The hadith shows the importance of any and everybody who's giving da'wah to have a comprehension of and a good understanding of the da'wah. Fiqhu da'wah. The da'wah requires comprehension. Da'wah is not something that's just wild, you just throw it up in the air and you do what you want to do. No. What are you calling to? How are you calling? And the people that you're calling, what is their situation? What are the different things that you can do to give them da'wah? All of that Prophet Muhammad brought to us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this hadith is one of those pinnacle hadith that show this that you have to know the condition of the people that you're calling to yeah Aisha your people are new to Islam so that means you have to deal with them a particular way it was that same Aisha may Allah be pleased with her who said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had he made khamar haram in one shot Quraysh would not have accepted Islam because they're new to Islam that guy is a new Muslim a crackhead, he smoked weed, he's doing something now that he came into Islam you gotta take your time with him does that make crack halal? Getting high halal? no, but it means you have to take your time with him and understand his situation, you're giving dawah to him don't cut his head off what's wrong with you? the man is dependent we have people in our community who smoke cigarettes, they can't get rid of the habit, so we give dawah to him are we going to cut them off because they smoke cigarettes? He's addicted to nicotine. He's addicted. It's not that he just wants to disobey Allah and follow his hawa. He's stressed out. He's got all kinds of issues. He needs to kick that habit. But we have to support him. But there may be that individual who, no, you don't support him. 
But generally speaking, generally speaking, don't look at people in that way where you're really intolerant, very judgmental. Our children, our children, the Shabab of the Muslims right now, they have an identity crisis. The Muslim kids don't know who they want to be, who they want to look like. Do they want to look like Mo Salah? Do they look, want to look like Jay-Z? Do, do, do they want to look like uh, Little Baby? Do, who do they want to look like? So now as a father, you, me, fathers, mothers, we have to know how and do our best with trying to deal with them. Yep, me. I could come out and, and just go off. But is that going to work? I don't think it's going to work. Because everybody who's around your child wants to look the same way your child is looking. So it's the issue of having fiqh of the da'wah. Gotta have fiqh of the da'wah. If Allah said once, at once, first one time that's it, no khamar. Aisha said, Kufab Quraysh would not have ever embraced Islam. Because they love that khamar. It's a part of who they are. The girl is a brand spanking new Muslim. One of the biggest things that stopped Western women from America, from Europe, one of the biggest barriers is that hijab. Meaning what? People are going to look at her. She doesn't want people looking at her, her relatives, her family. She has to make a statement. So once she comes into the religion and she's your wife or you know her, we have to support them. Don't cut her off and say you're not wearing hijab, you're not a serious Muslim. And when she wears hijab right away, gloves, niqab, right away, black, well, it may work for this one, but it doesn't work for that one. And when it doesn't work for that one, you relax. You relax. If there was a sister who from day one, she put the gloves, the niqab, all of that on, then let her start giving down in a nice way and say, hey, I did it and I didn't have these problems. But don't let her say, hey, I did it, so therefore you can do it. No, don't do that. You have to know what people's conditions happen to be. Even the issue of hijab. She doesn't want to wear hijab. Don't even talk about that hijab. Get her to believe in Allah first. The tawheed of Allah. And then after she believes in the shahadatain, get her to believe in that salat. And how she has to wear the hijab for the salat. But don't be a fitna for the people. That's the point. Don't be intolerant. So our mother Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. The Prophet taught her that message and that lesson Sallallahu Alaihi is teaching us. Hey, some people are in Islam for a long time and some people are not in Islam for a long time. Sometimes the one who has been in Islam for a short period of time, sometimes you could get more out of them than you can from the people who have been in Islam for a long time. So as the da'i, as the teacher, you have to know when to do that. You can get more out of them than the one who's been in Islam and he's lackadaisical. She's lackadaisical. You can get a lot of traction out of the one. Those people embrace Islam. You have to know when it's like that. So it can be a positive thing and it can be a curse. You can put too much on people and you run them away from the deen. You run them away. And sometimes you could put a lot on them and they're going to handle it because they, they have that youthful exuberance. And Islam to them, it means something different than the people who've been on Islam for a long time and they're just taking it for granted. Those people, when they hear something, 
they're inspired. There is a um, video going around with a well-spoken Sumati kid. He looks Sumati to me. And he's talking about how his mother helped him to memorize the Quran at eight years old. He's a very well-spoken kid, very calm. And he was saying his mother is not married. He has brothers to another mother, but his father's not married to his mother. And the way the kid was talking. Now, when one of us sees that, we look at it, we say, MashaAllah, MashaAllah, that's a nice video. There's a woman who sees that, a brother who sees that, who says, I'm inspired. If they can do it, I can do it. And then from that point, they get serious, trying to do that thing. Revert. So here, we have two extremes. One extreme is the person who, he claims everything is hikmah. Everything hikmah, hikmah, hikmah. But hikmah is not what he's doing. He's just being apologetic, and he doesn't want to say the truth. So anytime he's asked a question about anything, he'll say, it's ikhtilaf, you can never get the haq from him. And he thinks that that is hikmah. But when in fact it is khawf, he's afraid. That's an extreme. Hikmah, hikmah. And then there's the other extreme, where the person has no hikmah at all. Rough, tough, intolerant, run people away. He doesn't care about hikmah. Right here in this masjid, if we were a community, us, right here, only the people in this masjid, if you could put us in one of these, these rural communities in the UK where there are not a lot of Muslims, and only us with our families were there, only us, we got transported there, we're going to have to cooperate with each other. I'm not going to agree with everything you see. I'm not going to agree with everything that I see. But what do you think if I'm the teacher, and as I'm teaching, I'm just saying, you're not on it, and you're not on it, and you're not on it, and you're not on it. Every time one of you do something, you do, do something that I don't like, you, I disagree it, I kick you off and say, you're not practicing, you're not pra-, and I just keep doing that to you. You're going to say, what kind of teacher are you, man? We're in the middle, dab smack in the middle of a rural, rural white community, and we're trying to hold down to our religion for us and our children. What are you doing, Abu? What kind of dow is that, that you're giving? No, you have to have hikmah. And as we mentioned many times, listen, there's not a person here except that the word hikmah is an original word from his language. It's an Arabic word, but it's in everybody's language. This man is from Cameroon, hikmah is in his language. Somali, hikmah. Urdu, hikmah is in that language. English, hikmah is in that language. We all know hikmah is wisdom. But the way we always give the, 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 the tarif of hikmah, it is putting things in the proper place. That's hikmah. Allah is al-hakim. Because when he made halal, halal, haram, haram, he knew what he was doing. So never come and say, never, never, ever, ever come and say, why are those hadith in Sahih Muslim don't allow us to make khuruj against the hukam? Because Allah knew what he was doing. Allah is not telling you to love the hukam who are not religious. He ain't telling you that. Allah is telling you, don't make khuruj against those hukam. Because if you make khuruj against them, you're going to compromise the stability of the Muslims. Why did Allah do Because he knew what he was doing. Why did Allah allow a man to have more than one wife? Why? Because he knew what he was doing. Don't be one of those people who say, I hate the institution of plural marriage. 
Why? Because my husband didn't do it right. Or this one didn't do it. No. You're supposed to be a Muslimah, a Mu'mina. And it goes back to the hikmah of Allah. Halal is halal in our religion because it makes sense. It's wisdom. Why is the molid? Why is the molid not permissible? Why is not? Is no hikmah connected to it? No hikmah at all. So people should just get plugged into and accept what Allah Azawajal has legislated and know whether we know the wisdom, we don't know the wisdom, but there is wisdom. So hikmah is putting things in their proper place, knowing when to talk. How to talk, what to say, what not to say, who to say it to. Sometimes hikmah is just being quiet and hating it in your heart. Hikmah is just overlooking, overlooking. Like last week's hadith. It is not okay for the husband to hate his wife. If he sees in her a character trait that he hates, let him look for one that he likes. Hikmah necessitates if you don't do that, you won't be able to live together. She won't be able to tolerate you. You won't be able to tolerate her. Al-hikmah. Allah mentioned in the Quran, Yu'til hikmata man yasha. Wa yu'til hikmah faqad utiya khayran kathira. Allah has given hikmah to whoever he wants to give it to. And anybody who's been given hikmah, he's been given a lot of khayr. Not a little bit, a lot of khayr. The hakim from amongst us is the key to khayr. If we have hukama, like Abdullah ibn Abbas used to tell his students, Kunu Rabbaniyin, hukama, fuqaha. You people should be Rabbaniyun. Teach the people the basic knowledge first, the simple, easy knowledge first. And also be hukama, people with wisdom, people who know what you're doing. The dawah of, the dawah of these jama'at. There's no hikmah with these jama'at. They don't have hikmah. It's mafqulda. It's lost. It's lost. They have no power. And they want to start fighting. America, what are you doing? Get your country together. Get your country together. That's in the Muslim world. Here, here. Remember 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we had people, Hezbu Tahrir. There's craziness about establishing the Khilafah. I don't say that to put you down because you're Hezbu Tahrir. I want to take a cheap shot at you. I'm saying it's madness. You look in this audience right now, we're all responsible for establishing the Khilafah in our homes. You, 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 all of us. To the best of your ability. You're the Khalifa in your own house. Everybody here. And your children, your wives, they are the Mahkumun. The one who you're judging. Who here could put his hand up and say, hey, I'm taking care of this responsibility of being the khalif in my house? Who can say that? And then that same person who is with Hizbu Tahrir goes out and says, we want the khilafah here in the UK. And then the BBC asks that guy, never forget it as long as I live. My dumtu haya. They said, what are you going to do if you guys get the khilafah? He said, first thing we're going to do is chop the heads off of the ladies who don't wear hijab. I said, that guy has to be a plant. No one in his right mind will say something like that on TV. He has to be paid to say something like that. Where's the hikmah in that? So, al-hikmah to, in dawah, putting things in the proper place. But you don't give dawah. You never sit here on Monday. You never get up there on the member. 
So does that mean you exclude it? You're married. You're married. What about the one who's not married? So he doesn't have children. You have relatives. They're not Muslims. You have relatives who are Muslims. You have to give them dawah. You have a neighbor who's a problem. You have people you work with. A dawah. You got to have hikmah. We all have to have hikmah. And there are some people, as I mentioned, just as Allah gave some people sabr, Allah gave some people the ability to speak, they're very articulate, Allah gave some people a zakat, Allah gave some people hikmah. This guy knows how to deal with things. And may Allah have mercy upon a Sheikh Musa, a Sheikh Musa from the Sudan, rahmatullah alayhi, couldn't read couldn't write, the man couldn't read, couldn't write, he was ummi by the Lord of the Kaaba. Never saw a man as wise as that man walking on the face of the earth. Tremendous man, a Sheikh Musa. Al-Hikmah, be balanced, be in the middle. Allah mentioned in that ayah, he gives hikmah to whoever he wants to give it to. And another ayat he said in the Quran, Ya Yahya, Khud al Kitab Kuwatan, Wa al Hukma Sabiya. Ya Yahya, the Nabi, take the book with strength. Be a Muslim and be strong. Don't be a Muslim and you're lackadaisical. Like the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abdu Aleha bin Nawajiz. Any of you who lives for a long time, you're going to see a lot of ikhtilaf. Take my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided Khulafa rashidin those companions. Beyond the salafiyah that they were upon with that religion. Not no group, but upon what they were upon. He said, bite on it and hold on to it with your motives. Bite on to it. Don't put it in your pocket like that. Lackadaisical about your deen. That doesn't mean to be mutashaddit and go overboard in your religion neither. But don't be no flaky. Don't be no flaky. Ya Yahya. Take the book with strength. Take it with strength. Don't be a chump. Be a punk. People push you off the square. You're a Muslim. They push you off the square. Because you're scared. You're scared. You're scared. Can't play Juma. Can't do anything. Just scared. Change your name. His name is Muawiyah. They say, just call me Mo. My dad didn't name me Mo. My father didn't name me Mo. Let me school you to who Muawiyah is. Now, obviously, Khwani, you have to have hikmah. I remember when I was young and I was a new Muslim. I was pumped up. Like, the new Muslim is pumped up. I met some new Muslims. They were from, they were from uh, India. Actually, from Kenya. The ones they, the boat, bo, the, what they called again? Huh? Huh? They were those um, Bahas, Bahas. Those ones in Kenya, them Indians in Kenya, were fihim Ismailiyun, Ismaili, Kadianis. And I met those guys, and they were working on the masjid, and they had some non-Muslims working with them, non-Muslims. And a non-Muslim picked the thing up, and there was a bunch of ants walking, a billion ants. And I started telling the guy about Suleiman and the ants. And Suleiman was talking to the ants. And I'm calling myself, giving him dawah. But that wasn't the dawah to give that non-Muslim white man. He was looking at me like I was crazy. 
the ants was talking to the man and the man was talking to the ants. Yeah, and the ants told him to go back into your house because Suleiman is like, Suleiman, he could tell the wind and the birds and the jinn. The jinn? I was telling him that. That's not hikmah because he doesn't understand that. Now, for a Muslim, you're going to tell them or someone who knows the story of Suleiman in the Bible. Maybe you could tell him things like that because he has iman in that. But hikmah is knowing what to say, what your dawah is, who you're talking to. Like that Bedouin man who urinated in the masjid. So Allah said in this ayat that he gave Yahya hikmah when he was young. So there's, there's a person that Allah can give your child hikmah. The kid is 14, 15, you're not a baby anymore, man. The daughter is 14, 15, you're not a baby anymore. Walking around with pampers on. We got to pamper you and baby you. You yourself now are responsible for developing those things within yourself. You're smart enough to do that. So a young person can be given hikmah. But usually it's with older people. It comes with time. So I know that a lot of you young brothers, you think you know. And you think you have more knowledge and experience than your mother and your father. And in some things, maybe you do, IT and stuff like that. But in the game of life, your mother and your father should be listened to. You should listen to what they have to say. You should listen to them. Allah ordered the Prophet sallam, Call to the way of your Lord with hikmah. I'm a married man. I'm married man. Different wives, different children. I cannot believe for one minute that I can deal with all of them the same way. This is not possible. I have neighbors in front of me, neighbors to the right of me. It's not possible for me to think I could just deal with everybody the same way. Rough and tough. On Friday, that same energy. That's what I'm dealing with people with all the time. That's not going to work, man. There's a time and there's a place everything. That's hikmah. That's hikmah. Treating your mother as the mother. And your father as the father, even if they're kuffar. Treating the Muslims as the Muslims. Treating the one who's on the sunnah and he made a mistake. Treating him correctly. Treating the one who doesn't know. The skull of the brewi. Skull of the brewi. I'm not praying behind him. I'm not praying behind him. I'm not praying behind him. But your brilliant relatives, we go to their house, I'm going to pray behind them, no problem. The scholar of the people, the Teshayur. I'm not going to sit here and preach sectarianism to our community. But I'll say, anybody who has knowledge and you curse the companions, you are out of this religion. You out of this religion. And that's why I won't pray behind you. And the one who believes that Rasulullah sallallahu didn't die, Hazar Nazar, knows the ilm al-ghayb, all of that stuff, and he knows what he's saying, you outside of this religion. But our regular people, they're not like that. So I'm not going to teach that hatred. I'm going to say, have hikmah. Have hikmah. There's going to be a wedding, or going to be a funeral, and the relative is on that brailwi stuff. Those people are Muslims. I'm going to go and I'm going to attend. Because by attending, I'm going to make a ta'lif between the hearts of me and my relatives. By not attending, they're going to look at me as a wobbler even more. I hate Rasulullah. I hate them. 
No, I'm going to go to that wedding and I'm going to validate my presence. I validate my presence. I'm going to give dawah in being there and in dealing with the situation. As for the people just sick and they have hard hearts and they just want, you know, just imagine the kid is growing up and he's being taught by the Mulvisab to hate people who don't have that aqidah. So the kid sees you and he really hates you. It's not his fault. He's a little kid. So we can't be of the people because they do that, we do that. I'm not going to teach that kind of sectarianism, but I'm going to tell you, you're not a real Muslim if you don't have a problem with someone who curses Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and the rest of those companions. You're not a real Muslim, even more important than that, more dangerous than that. You're not a real Muslim if you don't know who Allah is and who Allah isn't. Allah doesn't go to sleep. He is not tired. He has no sharik. He has no sons. Prophet Muhammad is not equal with him. Prophet Muhammad is not equal with Allah Azzawajal. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, so therefore we're going to make it clear. Hey, those ulama who say kitu wa kitu wa kit, you guys are kuffar wala kirama. But the awam, no man, that, that's, that's not hikmah. That's not putting things in the right place. Because the companions of the Prophet used to make mistakes like that, similar to that. And Rasulullah would correct them and not put them out of the religion because they didn't know. And they did big things, big things. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, brought a religion that gave them al-musamaha, forgave them. As it relates to the issue of Al-Hikmah, this is just one of the many examples. This, remember this hadith. You remember this hadith. Rasulullah is looking at the Kaaba. He said, Aisha, because the people are new to Islam, I'm going to leave this Kaaba and not touch it. But really, if they were not new, I'd have, I would have destroyed, I would have taken the Kaaba down to the ground. And then I would have built it up the way Ibrahim built it. What did he mean by that? For those of you who have been to the Kaaba, you know you walk around the Kaaba. And then you walk around the Hejr of Ismail, that thing that's open. If you pray inside of there, you're praying inside of the Kaaba. The Nabi meant, if I could do it, if I had the money now, which I didn't, and if these people were not new, I would bring the Kaaba down build it from new and include all of that so that the Kaaba would be further and bigger and longer than it is right now. But he left it. Although that's what should have happened. That was the hop. Which helps us to understand, ya Afi, you may be present and the hop is for this to happen or that to happen. That is the hop. But it's not the time to do it. It's not the time to do it. This is not the time to make that move. If we make this move right now, we're going to be punished by not being able to realize it. That's a principle in usul al-fiqh. Anyone who is mustajil and he hurries, he makes try to do something before the time, he'll be punished by not being allowed to do that thing. That's the punishment. That's the iqab. For an example, that's his dad. It's his dad. He wants to get his inheritance. This is the example they give him fiqh. He wants to get his inheritance. His father is about to check out. So he unplugs the uh, IV or whatever. He gives him some uh, medicine. And he, you know, 
he kills his dad. They found out he killed his dad. He hurried it up. He's going to be punished. Now he can't get that inheritance. He can't get the inheritance because he was trying to do it quicker than his time. Same thing in the dower. You want to get married and you're not ready to get married right now? You're going to be punished by not being allowed to do it because you're not doing it the right way. You're not going about it the right way. So that's just a general rule in a dower especially. In a dawah especially. So in regards to this hadith, it's just one of many, one of many. To show us that Prophet Muhammad had, he had, alayhi salatu salam, he had comprehension and understanding, fiqh, jurisprudence. He knew how to move. He wasn't one of those people, I'm Rasulullah, I'm a Muslim, I throw caution to the wind, do whatever I want to do, and that's it. Can't do that. Can't do that, guys. Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when the Jewish lady gave him the food with the companions and they ate it, and about 12 of his companions fell dead, he told them, hey, his kids is poison. They died. Sahih Bukhari, he had the Jewish lady, they brought, him, brought her too. Why you do that? She said if he was a Nabi, he would have known that the, it was in there. And she saw that he knew after the fact and what he had did to her people. The companion said, Ya Rasulullah, should we kill her? She tried to kill the Nabi of Islam, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She tried to kill him, attempted murder. And she killed a number of other companions. Rasulullah said, no, let her go. Today, some young people, whippersnappers, will come and say, but Allah said, Whoever doesn't judge by what Allah revealed, then they're the kafirun. So, are you saying Rasulullah is a kafir from kafir? Is what you're saying? He, he, didn't, he didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? He didn't do it because he looked at the whole situation and he weighed it. The time that it happened. What's the relationship with the Yahud? What is he trying to do? Many examples like that. The Nabi of Islam. That Bedouin. That Bedouin. Urinating. I don't think, Ikhwani, there's a person sitting here. I know some of you are really laid back, introverted, muntawi, you like that. But I think if any of us saw someone urinating in the masjid, even though we know this hadith of the Bedouin, I think somebody's going to pick up this blue, this 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 wood Quran thing that they use for a sutra and hit him in his head. How many of you will not hit him in his head? How many won't hit him in his head? How many? Put your hands up. Well, that's the minority because the majority of the people here are going to hit that guy not in his head because you can't hit people in the head. They're going to hit him in his back and say, what are you doing, man? Rasulullah, because the companions got ready to do that. That's what they were getting ready to do. They were getting ready to beat that man up. Rasulullah said, hey, don't do that. Let that man finish. Finish, urinate, put in the jasa. So it's not one, two, three times. It's a lot. Fumama ibn Ufal. He came and he used to kill the companions. He used to kill them. He used to tell his tribesmen, any of you accept this man? I'm a take you over the, the coals and burn you and kill you and take you apart piece by piece. 
tie you up, your extremities, and make the horses run in different directions, pull your, your, your limbs out, and make your family watching. And then after that, I'm going to take your wife and your kids and make them slaves. You're talking about Islamophobia? This man was on another program. But when the companions caught him by himself, they brought him to the masjid, and Prophet Muhammad said, tie him up to the pillar of the masjid. Left him there for three days to look at what was going on. After the third day, he let him go. And the man came back after he took a ghusl on his own. Nobody told him, go take a ghusl somewhere. He found the place, took a ghusl, came back. Everybody watched him coming to the masjid, came up to the Nabi and said, I bear witness there's no God worthy of worship but Allah. I bear witness that you are his messenger. Look at the hikmah. Rasulullah knows that Thumama sallallahu alayhi wa sallam radiallahu anhu. You got to go back and read his story. Rasulullah knows that Thumama is a leader of the Arabs. And he has a mind. He's not like the people, just copycats. Whatever you say, the people just follow it. The Muslims should be thinking. Forward thinking, setting trends, not following trends. And the trends that we want to follow are the trends that indicate something's wrong with us. I'm going to go be all into some product, some other cat that made, and I'm going to pay three, five, six, seven hundred dollars just because it got his name on it. Get out of here, man. I make my own name or find a Muslim brother who does that. Let him get the money. What are we doing? I don't make that haram. I don't make that haram. But the Muslim is the trendsetter. Rasulullah knew that man thought like that. That man just looked at the Muslims for three days. Three days. And then he accepted Islam. Listen to this. After he accepted Islam, he went and he performed Umrah. And told Quraysh, yeah, I'm a Muslim now. And I'm against you. I'm with Muhammad. He said that in, in Mecca. Prophet Muhammad couldn't say that. This man being with his tribe, he said in Mecca, from today on, I'm not giving you people anything else for my people unless Rasulullah says, okay. Kufar Quraysh said, kill him, shoot him. They said, you better not shoot You shoot that man, his tribe, Beni Hanif, going to come to kill us. We're done. He went back to his tribe, put an embargo on Quraysh. They contacted Rasulullah. Ya Muhammad, Ya Muhammad, we're dying. Tell Thumama lift up the embargo. He lifted it up. Quraysh became Muslims. What if Rasulullah had killed Thumama right away for all of what he did? Thumama did a lot. But Rasulullah let him go. And that karam and that hikmah, whoever was given hik. So the point is, it's a lot of mawaqif. It's not one tooth, it is a lot, a lot. The man came to the Prophet who was resting sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he took his knife and put his knife on Rasulullah's neck and said, hey Muhammad, I got you. Who's going to help you? I'm going to kill you right now. Rasulullah said, Allah, Allah, Allah. The thing fell out. Rasulullah grabbed it, put it on him. Who's going to help you? He said, hold it, hold it, Muhammad. Take it easy. Take it easy. You say, la ilaha said, I'm not going to say la but I promise I won't fight you anymore. I won't fight against you anymore. Rasulullah said, okay, let him go. That man went to his people and told the people what happened. They became Muslims. What if when he just turned the corners, you put this knife on me, come and tie him up. I'm going to terrorize him. I'm just not going to chop him up right away. 
I want him to live the terror and the fear that he put had on me. Because right before when he had that knife on me, I thought about my baby. I thought I won't see my wife again. I thought about my community. I thought about all those things flash across my eyes. My life, he tried to snuff it out. Now I'm going to make sure he feels all of that. But so why didn't do any of that? Just let the man go. Let the man go. His people went and they became Muslims. But the man didn't become a Muslim. And that man got caught again the second time fighting against the Nabi. Caught him. The man said, oh, Muhammad, you're a nice guy. Let me go before them. He said, the believer's not stung from the same hole twice. And he dealt with him. You had your chance. But the point here, Ikhwani, is that the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa he has a lot of these types of mawaqif, these positions. A lot. Many. So now, before we finish, one asks, what do those scholars say in terms of al-hikmah? Because you know, like the good qualities in al-Islam, they are muktasaba. You can acquire them. That companion, when the Prophet told him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Inna fika khaslatain yuhibbuhum Allah, you have two character traits that Allah loves. He said, What are they? They say, He said, Al hilm, you're easy, you're soft, gentle. And Al anat, you're not in a rush. You're easy with your babies and with people. You're not rough, tough all the time. Every time you come in, people say, Oh boy, the kill's coming through the door now. As soon as the kids hear the key of some of our fathers, as soon as they hear the key, as soon as they hear the key, oh boy, they even come up with a language of their own so that the father and mother don't understand. Oh, the knucklehead is here. And they talk to each other like that. I know, Ikhwani, I know. You know how I know? My father was like that, man. We'll be in the house going off. We'll be going playing. As soon as we hear that key, 5.30, quarter, yep, everybody sat down. I just go in my room. I'm out. I'm out. Because that dude was tough. But alhamdulillah, he calmed down a lot now. May Allah guide him to Islam. He may see this and get mad at me and say, I never accept Islam. I'll make it very clear. That was a long time ago when I used to give him a hard time. But now he's an older man, 80-something. And he's much better now. But back then, that's how... And I said, I'll never want to do that. Never want to do that. Be that rough and tough. So we got to be in the middle. You got to be rough and tough when it is required. But generally speaking, we should be easy. So the point is, the Prophet had a lot of those situations, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam. We're not going to go through them. There's a lot of them. What did those scholars say, ikhwani? You want to learn how to get rid of your bad habits. A lot of scholars wrote about this, like the great scholar Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahmatullahi, who was really, really competent and beneficial in usul fiqh. And also in those books he used to write, like when he would write things like the issues in Riyadh al-Salihin, although it's mixed up with some other stuff. But nonetheless, he's a great scholar in Islam. We don't follow that Sufism from him, but he gave this ummah a lot of khair, al-Imam al-Ghazali. Just don't go overboard. Don't go overboard and don't go underboard. He's from the ulama of al-Islam. Al-Imam al-Ghazali has a chapter, 
How do you go about rectifying your bad character according to the Quran and the Sunnah? And he brought some nice kanam, some nice kanam. One of the things he mentioned was that in order for a person who wants to rectify whatever bad character trait he has, he talks too much, he's lazy, the person is anid, very stubborn, the person um, uh, doesn't tell the truth, the person, uh, whatever it is, he has anger issue, manage, he just gets upset all the time, immature, very self-centered, jealousy, uh, the person is um, weak, people push him around, he's a pushover, those things that we don't like about ourselves. How, what can you do? He said, one of the things that you could do, he mentioned a few. He said, one of the things is that you are, um, force yourself. You force yourself to do that thing. you stingy. Force yourself just to give money. Force yourself, whatever it is. You talk too much, force yourself, just don't talk. If you keep forcing yourself, your heart will have an impact and effect. It just happens. There's a hadith like that. That the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, إِنَّمَا الْحِلْمِ بِالتَّحَلُّمِ وَإِنَّمَا الْعِلْمِ بِالتَّعَلُّمِ If you want to be soft, halim, and you're not a soft person, then force yourself. You're rough and tough. Just force yourself. He told us a lot of things. If you have a hard heart, rub the head of an orphan. Rub the head of the orphan. When you make sajda, make this dua, make that dua. But he said, if you want to be soft and gentle, then force yourself to do it. It's not in you. You're not kareem. You're not generous. Like some people, Arabs are generous. And it comes from them. And some of us are like that. But some of us are bakhil, man. Some of us are bakhil. If he has his friend and him are going to eat breakfast together. They're going to eat breakfast together and his wife cooks the sausages. You know those round little sausages? And she cooks five sausages, gives him eggs, eggs, and there are five sausages. He gives them two, he takes two and there's one more. And he said, let me give this thing go and he'll be eating it over there in the corner. He eats it away from his friend. His friend didn't see him eating that fifth sausage. But the generous one said, Fadal, three, four, take five, you're my guest. Some people are really like that. If you want to be like that, just give. Don't be that guy who always wants to come and crash the party when, you know, we go, people go to eat. You just crash in a party. That's cool if they let you do that, but sometimes you got to say, hey, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And that thing will come. That thing will come. So if you want to learn about hikmah, a few things you could do, few things you could do from what the ulama say. Read the book of Allah. Make the ikthar and read it and spending time with that Quran. Hey, you know in the past there used to be people who were well known for being people who were connected to the Quran. Like in every community. Fulan is the sahib of the Quran. He's reading it. He's connected to it. Where is that person from amongst our community? From us, the regular people. Those of us who don't memorize some of us have memorized more than others. But where is that person from amongst us who, in a balanced, moderate way, he's reading the Quran all the time, revising, reading. He's balanced. He'll talk to you. He'll spend out, go out with you. 
But we know this brother is with that. What happened to that personality? If a person spends time with the book of Allah, Allah is Al-Hakim. He is Al-Hakim. And from reading that Quran, understanding those stories and stuff like that, but just from reading the book of Allah, it'll come. Number two, number two, number two, number two, is that the person should spend time with people who have hikmah. Iyaka thumma iyaka. Beware of being with people who are foolish. Beware of that foolish friend. He'll do more harm to you than your enemy. The foolish friend. The one who doesn't have deen and something's wrong with his akal. It's better for you to walk by yourself than to walk with someone like that heavy on you. Beware. So be around the people who have hikmah. Like the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in these stories. Like reading about the seerah of those people who were known for their intellect from the companions and other than that. Those a'imma who were judges. Did you know in Al-Islam there's a scholar's name is Ibn al-Jawzi, Abdurrahman. Ibn al-Jawzi wrote a lot of books, Hanbali scholar. He wrote a book called Akhbar Al-Hamqa wal-Mughaffirin. The news of the idiots and the people who have ghafla. They're just not aware. And he wrote the antithesis of that. Kitab al-Azkiyah, the book of those who are intelligent. Scholars used to write this book. There's not the only book like that in Islamic library. Al-Imam Ibn Hibban, before him. Ibn Hibban has a book of hadith. And it's one of the main books of hadith. Sahih Ibn Hibban. He was a scholar of al-Jahwa Ta'deel. Al-Imam Ibn Hibban. He also has a book, Kitab al-Hamqa wal-Mughaffirin. You read this book about... The, 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 the. And some of these stories, some of them are funny, and some of them are sad because we have people like that around us. Some of them are really funny. You laugh at some of those stories, but some of them are sad because we have people who are like that. And I'll tell you, with this social media, the way we are right now, this social media is helping people to be dumb. It's dumbing us down. It's, it's making you not work, not use your brain. These people are playing games. I don't want to go off the mark and get into this Illuminati stuff. But you know how they do all of these studies to keep us focused and zoomed in and zombied out. Where as soon as we wake up, you got to go to your phone no matter what time it is. It's the first thing you do if you lose your phone. It feels like you lost a part of your body and all of that stuff. This stuff is making us dumb. Our children are dumb, dumbing them down. Our children can't write English anymore. Because everything, when you write with uh, messages, is S-M-H-O-M-G and all it, T-B-H, that's how it is. They, they can't even write English anymore. So now... Those books that the scholars used to write. Those books. Why would so many scholars write books about the idiots and the intel- And that's what they call it. Hamka. Stupid. Idiot. Idiotic. 
People who, when you read their stories, the man came and he was lying. He was a kazad, telling the people that he met Al Imam Ahmed and Ali Medini, who were contemporaries. And he never met either one of them. He was a kazab, a storyteller. And he's in the masjid giving stories, telling people, and making up hadith. And then he told the people a chain of narration. So-and-so said, he said that Al-Imam Ahmed told him, Ali Medini told him, so-and-so told him, so-and-so told him, Abu Hurairah said such and such such thing. Al-Imam Ahmed and Ali Medini were sitting right in the audience. And they don't even know the man. They said, wait, 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 wait. He said, he said, I, I'm Ali Medina's Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Neither one of us know you. What do you mean? We told you this hadith. The man said, do you think you're the only Ahmed ibn Hanbal in the world? You think you're only Ali Medina in the world? And there are some sheikhs like that, some talkers like that. No matter what, they always got something to say. They always, they always have something to say as to why their position of what they did was legitimate. Just like that. You can never catch them. That's hump. And those kind of stories and worse than that come in those books. Why are those books there? Those books are there for our community. Don't be from those people. Don't be from those people. Lastly, Ikhwani can't put enough emphasis on which means experience. They said that everything needs the aql. Everything needs intellect. Everything. You have to have aql to do everything. They said, but the aql, it needs experience. Tajriba. There's no substitute for experience. One of the greatest scholars in Islam, Imam Ibn Hazm, that I told you guys about a few days ago when we talked about the Musnad of Imam Baqi ibn Makhlad al-Shami, rahmatullah alayhi. Imam Abu Muhammad ibn Hazm was a tremendous scholar in Islam and his mind and his intellect was on another level. Another level. Some people, Allah just made them very smart like that. And he was a scholar on another degree. But because he never, ever, ever, ever went to Hajj. He never performed Hajj. He has one of the most important books on Hajj. Called Hijjatul Wada, the farewell pilgrimage. It's thick from the time he left Medina until when he went back to Medina. All of the ikhtilaf between the companions and tabi'een and all of that. It's a masterpiece. But Al Imam ibn Hazm never went to Hajj. So he has some positions in this book, lack of. Experience will make you laugh at his position. How many of you have been to Hajj and Umrah? How many of you made Tawaf? How many of you made Tawaf? How many times do we make Tawaf? How many times do we go up and down? How many? Seven. And we start with what first? Which mountain? Safa. Why do we start with Safa first? Because when you go into a suffer after you come in from the Kaaba, Rasulullah will walk to a suffer and say, Nabda will be my Allahu bihi. We start with what? Allah started with. In the suffer wal marwa min sha'a So we know the suffer. So from suffer, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So you finish on what mountain? What mountain? 
Marwa. And at Marwa, you don't face the Kaab and make dua. It's the only time each one you make dua, but the last one, no. So if you guys go in, I don't know what it's looking like now, but don't go out that door by Marwa. Don't go out that door because you get lost. You got to go back through the Kaab, go through the short way. That ain't the point, though. Listen to the point. And Imam Ibn Hazm said, anybody who's going to make tawa, or anybody who's going to make sa'i, they have to do it 14 times. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And you finish at Safa. 14 times. Can you imagine doing that 14 times? In Ramadan or at Hajj time? Can, can you imagine doing that 14 times? On the day of Al-Hajj, Al-Akbar, you know, when we're doing all of that, Tawaf Al-Ifada. Can you imagine if people had to do that 14 times, people would stop being Muslims. They say, I'm not a Muslim anymore. I reject Islam from this because it's too much. He didn't have the experience. That's not to take anything away from him. And that's why from Hikmah is... When we talk to scholars here and there, you have to know what scholar you're talking to. What's the background of that scholar? Does he know our situation here? Is he the person to ask that question? That's what we have to do. And just before I finish, I just want to make mention of this situation about hikmah, about hikmah. For the brothers who are giving dawah, listen, you know, this intolerance and criticizing people and expelling them, and uh, canceling people, this cancel culture because people make mistakes. This is not from al-hikmah. This is not from hikmah. This fighting and all this madness, not being fair. You have to have hikmah and be easy and be fair with everybody. People are the imams of kufr and innovation and things like that. And they're the main callers to that and representatives and the removals for that. You deal with them comparable to what they're bringing to the table. But for the general ummah, don't be like that. There's a sheikh. The sheikh was saying, and I know what he was saying, and I actually agree with what he was saying. He has said, if, you know, you have this thing in Islam called the maslaha and the mafsada. The maslaha is the good thing. And the mafsada is the bad thing, like the prophet here, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The maslaha, the good was to bring the door down and to put the Kaaba all the way back to the Hijr of Ibrahim. That's a maslaha. But in doing that, the people would have got mad and it would be fitna. And that's a mafsada. So in our religion, before you can pull the maslaha, before you put the maslaha, you have to get rid of the mafsada. So you marry to your first wife now and you want to slide into second base and marry the second wife, slide into second base. But in sliding into second base, is gonna, this is maslaha. This maslaha. Benefit. But in doing that, your first wife is going to go off. Her mother, her father is going to have issues. Oh, it. So before you can pull this and do it, you have to get rid of this to the best of your ability. That's just a general rule in your life. At your job, at the school, in the masjid. 
There's something we want to do. It's khayr, maslaha. We want to do it. But in doing it, it's going to create some issue. Before you do this, get rid of this to the best of your ability. Or don't do it. Because if you do this before it's time, you're going to be prohibited and prevented from doing it. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for you. Don't do it. So that sheikh, he had mentioned concerning the mafsada, Sahih Bukhari. He said, we, anything that causes a fitna, we shouldn't do it as people giving dawah. He said, even Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Bukhari, we shouldn't distribute it to the people if it's going to cause fitna. And the people who used to be with that sheikh, you know, they all was together. Now they're against them. So they wanted to catch the sheikh out. They wanted to catch the sheikh out. They called a few sheikhs, the mufti. They called sheikh al-Luhaydan. They called the sheikh al-Fawzan. Uh, someone says, we shouldn't give out Bukhari if it's going to cause fitna. What do you say? Each one of them said, that's batil. That's no good. That's batil. And they asked, who said that? They told them. They said, it's batil. No, I agree with what he said, what the sheikh said. And I agree with what they said as well. I wish that they would have asked more questions, but I agree with what that sheikh said. If Sahih al-Bukhari or Kitab al-Tawheed or Khutbat al-Hajah is going to make people not listen to you and fight you and stuff like that, then don't introduce that right now. Don't introduce it right now. You don't have to do Khutbat al-Hajah. You all heard of the story of the man who wanted to give his community Kitab al-Tawheed. He took the ghulf off, the cover off, and gave it to him, So they didn't know what it was. So that's what the sheikh was saying. That we're going to do the sunnah. This is the sunnah. When you make it salah. And you say, Assalamu alaikum. That's it. You're not going to do that in Gumgul Sharif. You're not going to do that in Zil Quran. You're not going to do that in Masjid Hijra. 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 You're not going to do that in them places. Because that's the sunnah. And it's wajib to keep the peace between the people. You're not going to pray with your shoes on in any of these messages. None of them. You are not going to pray with your shoes on in any of these messages. Because praying with your shoes is the sunnah. It's what the Prophet used to do. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you doing it is maslaha. You get rewarded. But in doing that, people are going to go off. So don't do it. Don't do that. Hikmah, hikmah. Now, as it relates to the sheikh, the sheikh, people play games. When the sheikh said what he said, he was trying to say something that is Islamic. It comes to us from this hadith of the Kaaba. The Kaaba. The Kaaba. The house of Allah. The last thing I want to mention. He stayed that with the Kaaba. He left it. So, Sayyid Bukhari, we're going to leave it for right now. Kitab We're not going to force it on the people. Last thing I want to mention, Ikhwani, historically. One of the companions, his name is Abdullah ibn Zubair. His father is a Zubair. One of the ten people promised Jannah. His mother is um, Asma, the daughter of uh, Umar. May Allah be pleased with all of them. He was uh, a tremendous person in Islam. In the end of his life, he was killed by Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi during the time of Abdul Malik ibn Mirwan. Listen to this. He was killed. And there was a lot of turmoil between him and Muawiyah and all that stuff. 
But before he was killed, he got power over the Muslims. He was like the Khalifa, kind of. He had support. And then he was killed. His cousin Abdullah ibn Abbas just tell him, fall back, don't do this. It's going to be a fitna. Anyway, he had power. And he had power over Mecca. He said to the people, I'm getting ready to do what Prophet Muhammad wanted to do, but he couldn't do it. Sallallahu alayhi wa But I can do it now. Rasulullah wanted to put the Kaaba down, but he didn't have the money to do it. And he didn't have the support of the people because Quraysh were new in Islam. He said, you people have been Muslims for a long time and I have the money. I'm not scared of anybody. And he said to the pilgrims who came, what do you people say we should do? Should you agree? You don't agree. People gave him his opinion. Abdullah ibn Abbas said, I saw in a vision, sighted Muslim, I saw. I think you should just leave it the way it is. It was like that with them and people who have accepted Islam is like this, leave it. He said, inshallah, I'll make a decision in three days. Made it stakhara, three days. After the third day, he came and he said, I'm changing this Kaaba. And I'm going to build it how the Rasul wanted it to be done. Because I understood if he had the money, he would have done it. And if he wasn't afraid for the Islam of the people, he would have done it. So he sent the man up on top of the roof. And the people, when they saw that, they ran away. They said, there's going to be a lightning bolt come out of the sky and, and, and kill that man. You messing with the Kaaba? That's a big thing with those people. When the man started taking it off of the Kaaba, they saw nothing happen. It turned out that Abdullah ibn Zubair took the whole Kaaba down because it had been destroyed. There was a fight and they messed it up. They had attacked the Kaaba, got messed up. So they built the Kaaba from new and it included the Hijr of Ismail. He built it and included the Hijr of Ismail. But it was time of fitna, and the fitna kept happening. The fitna kept happening. And then after that, a Zubair was killed. Uh, Abdullah bin Zubair was killed. And the leader of the Muslims, Abdul Malik Marwan bin Hakim, he said, We don't need what he did. And they undid it. They undid it. So the Kaaba has gone through a history that is tumultuous. The people who gave you the Molid, the Fatimiyun of Egypt, they came and took the black stone back with them to Egypt. Just read about it. They came and took the black stone and took it to Egypt. The people gave this ummah the Mawlid. And when they killed the Muslims, they threw them in the Zamzam well. They threw them in the Zamzam well. And you're going to come tell me that uh, um, the people who gave the molid has some khair in it? Go back and read about the history of the Kaaba, ya ikhwani. Our religion, our religion. There's no single person that has all of it, but you can be the diamond in the rut. Any one of you. Memorize the Quran, scholar and hadith, learn about this, learn about that. Just don't be satisfied with mediocrity. Just being a Muslim like that when you're not learning your religion. So those scholars wrote those books. Akbar Mecca. The news of Mecca. Before, all the way up until Yom Qiyamah, what the Allah and his messenger, 
sallallahu alayhi wa what Allah ta'ala said about the Kaaba and his prophet. Okay, we're going to stop here, inshallah. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.